0: This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre recorded.
1: This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world.
2: It is for those frightened children who want peace, it is for those voiceless children. Who want
1: change? Be inspired by women from across the globe. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you
3: have been given.
1: Who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams? What
2: I know to be true is that women were always meant to lead, and by shining a light on those doing it well today, My hope is that more women will find their own voice.
1: Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women To Watch, Sue Rocco.
2: Hello and welcome back to another week of Women To Watch. I'm Sue Rocco and it's great to be here with all of you. Before I welcome my guests for today, I want to remind everyone to be sure to stay with us during the breaks, where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of women leaders bringing you news and inspiration from their various industries. We continue to be grateful for their sponsorship of Women to Watch and support and wisdom that they bring to the show each week. As we continue to expand into new markets, we are always looking for additional corporate partners. So if you're interested in being, a part of the show, please email taylor at womentowatch.net. And don't forget to download the podcast each week to never miss a show. And you can sign up for our newsletter as well at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net. So now I'm very honored and thrilled to have with me Shu Win, And Shu is a partner with Quinn Emanuel, which is a global law
4: firm. Shu, welcome to the show. Hi, Susan. I'm so pleased to be here. I'm really excited to participate in, and support this wonderful program.
2: Well, thank you. It's, it's really wonderful to have you as well. And you have a great, great story. Um, and I want to start right off the bat with um, really the beginning of your story and see if you can share with our listeners uh, an earliest memory that you have of the age when you were five and and your family escaped Vietnam um, to come to America. That's a, you know, five years old is kind of a, a, you know, a very young age to have memories. But for something like that, I would think you might have a vivid
4: recall. Yes, I definitely have a recall of uh, being on a large uh, military uh, aircraft carrier with my family and a number of other families. And I think from a perspective of a five-year-old, it seemed like an adventure to me. I, I I, think my parents definitely did a very good job in sheltering me from what was actually going on, that we were escaping from Vietnam on the last day, the so-called fall of uh, Saigon. Um, I thought we were just going on an adventure across the ocean um, to a new place, right. yeah. and I didn't really grasp the significance of what was happening that day. And so my earliest memory was being on this uh, the deck of this uh, U.S. aircraft carrier. Um, I do remember uh, other families uh, being on the, the top of the aircraft carrier, and we were out in the open. Um, there was a time when uh, they were throwing aircraft into the ocean in order to make room for uh, other at that point, I thought, guess. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that was one of my earliest memories.
2: Wow. You, you know, I, I can't imagine what your parents must have been feeling, right? So um, you had shared with me that your mom actually grew up uh, fairly wealthy and having to, to take this trip and start all over. Did she ever speak to you about her early years in Vietnam?
4: Yes, Um she spoke of it more as I grew up because I started to ask her a lot of questions about it. Um, as I, you know, started to grow up in in the United States and not knowing English and being in such a foreign environment, um, as I grew more mature, I started to ask her questions here and there about, you know, what happened, why we we were in the United States, and my parents slowly um, gave me. Uh, details about you know how they grew up and how they came to come to the United States. And you know, my mom, yes, she was from a very wealthy family. my mom and dad have an amazing romantic story. I think they're celebrating their 52nd anniversary this year. Um, she was oh, from a nice. very wealthy family. He was from a poor family. Um, so she uh, fell in love with him. And her family, um, her dad in particular, owned multiple businesses. Uh, he was in the import and export business, but he had passed away when she was uh, younger and before we escaped from Vietnam. But yeah, she had never expected to uh, lose all the wealth and pretty much start over uh, in the United States. And one of their first jobs in the United States was as uh, dishwashers and she tells me the story that she had never washed dishes before. Um, back in Vietnam, they, they had uh, a lot of help. And in the United mm. States, when she was washing dishes, um, she broke a, a lot of dishes. <laughs> and, and at that time, you know, she <laughs> would have, they would dock from her pay every dish that she um, would break. And at a certain point, I think she was making less working than <laughs> if she wasn't working. So she would tell me stories like that.
2: Yeah. Now, let was the did she lose all of that because of her choice in marriage to to your dad, or was it that they left the country and moved to the U.S.?
4: It was um, primarily because they left the country and moved to the U.S. I think that while my grand my grandmother uh, didn't necessarily approve of the relationship, she grew to accept my dad. And so my my mom uh, still had uh, the wealth and and the support of her her mom. Um, yeah. But yeah, coming to the United States, my grandmother escaped with us. She she went to Canada, and my family was the uh, few members of the family that decided to go to the United States. And I did ask okay. my mom, like you know, my cousins and and other relatives, they ended up in Canada. And other parts of the world, and I asked them why. Why did our family go to the United States? And my parents said that they definitely always viewed the United States as um, a land of opportunity. Um, they had a dream of, of, you know, being here. If they were going to escape to a country, um, they wanted to go to the United States. And my dad had at that time served in the um, Vietnamese, South Vietnamese um, military, and he had fought beside Americans. And had, you know, spoken a little English, so they wanted to go to the United States.
2: So I'm curious how they landed in in Springfield, Maryland. You know, the United States is a big place, and it's always fascinating to me when people come from another country, how they land in the town, or the state, rather. (laughs)
4: <laughs> exactly, and then ultimately we start uh, we grew up in, I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, so I've always asked my parents how did we end up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, which, if you know it is uh, known for the Amish community it's it's very rural and it's a beautiful yes. beautiful area of the country, but not very yes. populated. but um, to your question, we first started in Springfield, Maryland. Because my uncle at the time um, was already in the United States. He had been studying in the U.S. So when we first um, arrived in Guam, um, you have to get sponsored out in order to come out of uh, the camp. And my uncle helped sponsor us out, and that's where he was living. So we, we first started in Springfield, Maryland, my parents made their way to Lancaster Pennsylvania because they had heard about um, a job Uh, there was an RCA plant in Lancaster Pennsylvania and so they decided to move to Lancaster Pennsylvania and they both worked at RCA
2: okay got it um listen shu we're going to go into our first break and when we come back i want to talk about those younger years for you and how pivotal it was um some of the teachers that came into your life stay with us for our watch team and we'll be back with shu win partner with quinn emmanuel we'll be right back
5: now the women to watch health watch for health watch i'm dr marianne Ritchie. Most of us will never have to live through a house fire, but it's vitally important to be prepared because fire is the single most common disaster across the nation. This morning on Your Radio Doctor, our guest was Deputy Fire Marshal Matt McGuire from the Lower Merion Fire Department. Number one, smoke alarms are essential. There should be one on each floor of the home, one near the kitchen, and one near each bedroom. Test them once a month and replace batteries. Teach children what the alarm sounds like so they can recognize it. Remember, a carbon monoxide monitor does not take the place of a smoke alarm. Two, have an escape plan. Whether you live in a single home or an apartment building, have at least two ways to exit the building. Practice at least twice a year and include pets in the plan. Aim to be out in two minutes. Teach everyone how to call 911. Keep pet crates near entrances with a leash nearby for easy access in emergencies. Three, if a fire does start, call 911. Know how to use a fire extinguisher. Always use stairs, never an elevator. Crawl low under smoke. Four, once the fire's out, make sure the fire marshal clears the building for reentry. There could still be smoldering cinder or dangerous fumes. The most common cause of house fires? Cooking. Never leave a pan or pot unattended. Clean the grease off the cooking surface frequently. Keep a fire extinguisher in the kitchen. And if you have a pet, remove knobs off the stove when you're not home. Pull the toaster out from under the cabinet when in use. And unplug your toaster and coffee pot as soon as you finish. Check both before you leave the house. Finally, turn the portable heater off before bed or before going out. And at the risk of sounding so 1960s, please don't smoke in bed. Did I really have to remind you of that? Hear the whole show on your Radio doctor.net. Divas, be prepared. Don't let your dreams go up in smoke.
1: This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco. Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Thanks so
2: much for being with me. I'm joined today by Shu Nguyen, who is a partner with Quinn Emanuel, a global law firm. And um, Shu, I wanted to talk about your school years. And I know that teachers can be so incredibly pivotal in, um, you know, a child's path and and which direction they go. And I know that you had some incredible teachers who really helped um, helped you figure out what your own aspirations were. Can you talk about that and why that was so meaningful for
4: you? I can't say enough about the impact that teachers can have on uh, students' lives. Um, I think uh, the teaching profession is an amazing profession, and I, uh, I, I am so indebted to the teachers uh, who took the time with me um, you know, knowing what I I had struggled with in terms of not knowing English, uh, I do remember a time when uh, people would come up to me and, and speak to me in English, and I was always I always equipped myself with yes, no, or I don't know, and I would kind of pick one of those, <laughs> hoping that it would be one of them would be the right answer. And um, I do remember like my sixth grade teacher. He took a lot of time with me um, to just talk with me and and understand you know my background uh he even got to know my dad and and he realized that my dad was like juggling three jobs and so with you know my parents both working multiple jobs I think that he, um, my sixth grade teacher was Mr. Monroe in Mountville uh, Elementary School. He took the time to um, talk to me and, and basically kind of be the father figure at school for me. And then when I eventually went to college, um, there was a Dr. Claude Yoder who uh, is a chemistry professor. Um, You know, when I was applying to law school and medical school at the time as well, because I wasn't sure whether I wanted to go to law school or medical school, he took the time with me to to go through my college application and and read my my essays. So I think that uh, teachers can have such an impactful um, uh, influence on, on students. and to this day I still t- stay in touch with uh, you know my teachers, including Dr. Yoder, who checks in once in a while on me.
2: That's wonderful. It's, it must be wonderful for them to, to to hear that from students, you know what an impact they've had. To, how old were you Shu when you began to speak fluent English?
4: I would say uh, probably about seven or eight years old. Yeah, wow. I remember, like yep. you know, when we first came to the United States, uh, because I didn't know English, um, I had not really gone to like the usual schools and grades and everything. So I was um, being put in daycare center initially um, when my parents would would work, and then as I um, got more proficient in English, uh, then I kind of caught up in in terms of the grades that I should be in. But I well, do remember s- struggling and not knowing English. And that's why, you know, well, today um, I really uh, give credit to the teachers and and my parents who supported me through this process. You know, I when I was growing up, my parents really didn't want me to speak Vietnamese um, to them um, because they were concerned that I didn't know English. And so they would mm-hmm. speak to me in Vietnamese and I would respond to them in, in English
6: and and okay. that's
4: great um, now, but now I, I, I wish that I could, uh, you know, speaking, speak Vietnamese. So I hope that my daughter uh, will be able to speak Vietnamese.
2: Oh, well, I, you know, children pick up new languages, I think, so quickly. Um, it's amazing to me. And listen, you certainly yeah, that's caught
4: true. up. And you, so that's, in some but, ways, I was fortunate to have come to the United States when I was five years old.
2: Right. Yes. And not have any, um, you know, preconceived notions or, or even fear yet, I guess, at that age.
4: Exactly. But I also yeah. I, I so much appreciate everyone who helped along the way and the teachers who took the time with me to, to help me, uh, you know, get more proficient in English. And well, you in the stream, dream would I eventually think that I would become a lawyer. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> not, not having English as my first language. Well, I want to talk
2: about that because I want our listeners to know you graduated cum laude from Harvard. You were first in the class at Franklin and Marshall and you completed pre-med studies with a double major in chemistry, special studies, economics, and business. So first of all, you know, that's incredible to me. And um, I, I I, two questions around that. You know, did school academics come easy to you? And and tell me about the moment you decided you were going to go to law school after learning, you know, all those various fields.
4: Yeah, I, I have to say that I think academics um, did come easy to me in the sense that, you um, Mentally, for me, I never thought there was anything that was impossible. Um, and maybe that has to do with seeing my parents go through what they did, did, and start from the beginning from scratch and juggle multiple jobs and with with two kids in a new country. For me, I never thought anything was impossible. I really just thought that if you uh, put your you know focus on something and work really, really hard, you can do anything, and so um, I never thought that my abilities or anything was a constraint. I just think you just needed to work really hard, and as a result, mm-hmm. I kind of threw myself in in everything um, and I in any subject, and um, yeah, I I I I loved everything, learning everything, and 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 I saw the opportunities that my parents created for me, and I wanted to take advantage of it and not squander it.
2: Wow. You know, that's that is the ultimate um, advice, I'll say, or, you know, what we're always trying to help young girls and women with is that belief. And uh, so when we come back, I want you to talk about that a little bit and how you think we can help uh, more young girls and women believe that they really can accomplish anything um, if they work hard. Stay with us. We're going to go into our break, and I'll be back with Shu Win, partner with Quinn Emanuel.
1: Now, the Women to Watch, Nonprofit Watch. Good
3: evening, Women to Watch listeners. I am Cheryl Mackey, lead of financial empowerment at United Way of Greater Philadelphia and Southern New Jersey. At United Way, we believe in second chances for giving people the opportunity to change their lives for the better. And in that spirit, we invest in programming that provides the formerly incarcerated, known as returning citizens, the opportunity to participate in workforce programming that puts them back to work and connects them to the resources to become productive citizens within their community. More importantly, it connects them to their children and families. Children are oftentimes adversely impacted by experiencing the effects of an incarcerated parent. And the reality is one out of 25 children in the classroom has an incarcerated parent. And upwards of 80% of incarcerated women are mothers. So at United Way, we want to ensure that we are rebuilding families through our efforts
0: and providing opportunities.
3: for returning citizens to become gainfully employed and acquire housing stability to be best positioned to care for their families, which in return creates more prosperous communities. For more information on how to get connected to these supports, visit our website at www.unitedforimpact.org or call our helpline 211. I am Cheryl Massey. Thanks for listening.
2: Hi, Sue Rocco here, host of Women to Watch. Are you a fan of the show? If so, be sure to sign up for our podcast at womentowatch.net so you never miss a show and can listen on your own time. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T.
1: You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT.
2: My guest is Shu Nguyen, and Shu is an attorney with Quinn Emanuel. She is a partner in the firm. And just before the break, Shu, you, you were talking about um, really what led to your success. And, and the biggest part was just the belief that you could do anything. And I love that. And, you know, for the listeners, if there's a woman listening who's struggling um, perhaps with her own belief in herself, what would you say to her?
4: To not have fear of failure. Um, Even though I have belief and confidence in my abilities, um, trust me, there's many times when I tried things and I failed. But just to pick yourself up and keep on trying, um, to be willing to take risks. And I am a true believer in grit, in perseverance that the more you try at things, the more, uh, perseverance you have, and you gain that belief by just keep on trying and keep Mm. on going.
2: Right. The doing, the doing is what, you know, kind of propels you forward, even if, even if it doesn't work.
4: Right. I mean, I love that, um, saying from, and I'm going to like, uh, misquote it, but Martin Luther King had said, if you can't, Um, If you can crawl, crawl. If you can't walk, walk. You know, just
2: keep on moving forward. Right. I I agree with that. I want to share a quote. Um, You've said, I truly am a believer in the American dream and how great a nation the U.S. truly is and can be. What what do you think about when you hear uh, all the negativity in the news today about the U.S.?
4: I'm, I'm saddened by it, um, because I know that United no, no nation is uh, perfect, but I believe that the United States is an amazing melting pot, that it, it is a country that has so much freedom uh, and opportunity that it gives to people like my family, who are foreigners and not born here, um, but... You know, who would have thought that I would come to the United States not knowing English and then eventually make it to Harvard, um, which, you know, it is an American dream for not just me, but but for my family. Um, only in a nation like the United States can something like that happen. And it's not just me, but I know that there are other uh, refugees and people, immigrants from other countries who have um, changed Their social economic situation through education and through the opportunities that the United States provides. And I think that the United States is amazing because it is a melting pot. There's so much diversity here. And I think that is what makes the United States strong.
2: I know that there was a certain community and group of people that that were that helped you and your family when you first came, and that was uh, the Christian community. And you decided to embrace Christianity in your thirties. So, my question uh, was: there, what made you decide to do that, and was there something missing in your life that that led you to do that?
4: I was always observant uh, that the people that were helping us were Christians. But in my early twenties uh, and thirties, and I was always doing and very motivated, very ambitious, and I really didn't really take the time to sit back and, and reflect and think about, um, you know, the my religion and and when I did, we come to. California from New York um, and had that time to kind of reflect a little bit. I, I feel like God's presence was always in my life and his love and his presence um, and his cover of protection over my family really made me you know think further and dig deeper into um, Christianity. And that's when I became um, a follower of Jesus in, in my late 30s. But the Christian community a... were so uh, helpful. I, I, I remember that you know, my mom and dad, uh, they, uh, they were um, running from the rain uh, one day after a job and you know, they didn't have any transportation and they happened to take shelter in front of a church and a woman, Mr. Mrs. Stanley, um, opened the door and invited them inside the church. And you know, through, through that gesture, she became a lifelong friend of the family. And she helped us. She helped my dad get a bike um, and you know, helped us get furniture. Uh, I remember you know, when we first uh, came to the United States, my parents were able to eventually afford an apartment, but nothing inside the apartment. We had no furniture, so every every night, my mom would get like the pool furniture <laughs> or, the, or the lawn furniture that she would find outside and bring it inside so that we could sleep on it, and bring it outside in, during the daytime. And so wow. Mrs. Stanley saw that happen, and and she helped us get plugged in with the Christian community, who helped get us some you know, extra clothes and, and furniture. So I'm forever indebted to them.
2: That That's so nice. And I'm assuming that you, you know, you lean on that faith um, today in, in times of, you know, stress and, and crises.
4: Oh, absolutely. And in terms of, like, confidence, I think that it gives me a sense of worth, that my worth it comes from uh, God, from Christ, not from anyone else uh not from what anyone else thinks about me um you know at the end of the day um i want god to say to me you know well done my my servant um and so that's in many ways that the fact that my worth is rooted in christ gives me the confidence to do anything with god mm-hmm. everything is possible
2: right we're going to go into our last break, Shu. And when we come back, I want to talk about your your job as an attorney and and what some of the uh, exciting parts of your career have been. Proud moments. Stay with us, and I'll be back with Shu Win, partner with Quinn Emanuel. You're listening to Women to Watch, and stay with us for our watch team.
1: Now, the Women to Watch military watch.
6: Hi. I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast, NBC Universal. The 2020 Tokyo Paralympic Games kick off this week, and of the 240 athletes representing Team USA, 21 are U.S. service members. I'm thrilled to share that one of these veteran athletes is sponsored by Comcast, and it's been an honor for me to get to know him personally. Before he was a Paralympian, Brad Snyder was a U.S. Navy officer who attended the Naval Academy and was also the swim team captain. During a deployment to Afghanistan in 2011, Brad was severely injured by an explosion that caused his complete vision loss. As part of his rehabilitation process, Brad spent a lot of time in the pool, and after a few months of training, he earned a spot on the U.S. Paralympic national team for swimming. At the 2012 London Paralympics, Brad competed in seven events, earning two gold medals and one silver medal. The gold medal he earned in the 400-meter freestyle occurred exactly one year to the day since his vision loss. When Brad went on to compete in the 2016 Games in Rio, he earned four more medals and became the world record holder for the men's 100-meter freestyle among blind swimmers. This five-time gold medalist will be competing in the Tokyo this year, and this time as a paratriathlon, which includes swimming, cycling, and running. As for why he switched events this time around, Brad says being uncomfortable is the pathway to growth. You can learn more about this incredible individual in his book, Fire in My Eyes, the unforgettable story of heroism and sacrifice on the battlefield and the inspiring journey that leads us through darkness to victory. Brad is an extraordinary example of resilience and determination. And I hope you'll join me in cheering him and the rest of Team USA on during these games. So best of luck to Brad and the rest of Team USA.
1: Now more of women to watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to the
2: last segment of the show. I'm joined by Shu Win, and Shu Win is an attorney. And I guess we should talk about your work a little bit. Um, I know that you know as a firm, you advise clients in all types of business litigation, and I, I'd love for you to share. You know, perhaps the favorite part of your job and career and and what's hard, what is difficult for you day to day?
4: I would say the favorite part of my career is, you know, at Quinn Emanuel, we do trial. Uh, We just do 100 percent litigation. And I love going to trial. Um, I love the fact that uh, at trial, uh, you're gathering a, a lot of facts. In presenting a convincing story uh, to the jury or to the to the judge. And I I I'm really proud of myself for one of the first trials that I co chaired, um, where we won. It was a, a patent case. And at the time, I was three months pregnant. So um, I'm proud of myself that I was able to do that. And, and also, I, I always kid with my daughter now, who is 10, that she's already been to trial with me. Um, right. I, I, I love the joy of presenting. And um, I think very graphically. So I love pr- uh, creating uh, graphics in PowerPoint presentations and telling that story to jurors, especially when the subject matter may be difficult or technical, but you're able to present it in a, in a way that everyone can understand. Um, mm. So I, in terms of the most difficult and challenging part of my, my job, I would say um, I would say trial as well, in, in the sense that when a team of us are in trial, um, we could be away from our family for a month or, or two. Um, And luckily, I've had many trials where I've been local in California. Uh, There have been trials where I've been in Delaware and away from my family uh, for a couple months. And so, in in that sense, it, it's difficult to be away. Um, but my h- husband is amazing. Uh, you know, he's held down the fort with my with my daughter, and we communicate um, by video. And so, she understands uh, when I have to go away for trial. Shu, have
2: have you experienced any? Um... Prejudice throughout your career, being a woman in the legal profession, because I've interviewed a lot of um, a lot of lawyers, and as far as fields or industries go, um, there seems to be a um, a lag in the you know giving women opportunities, equal opportunities, same opportunities that they're deserving of. Have you found that to be the case?
4: Um, You know, I think that all law firms can do better, and I know that Quinn Emanuel uh, is is definitely uh, very sensitive to that, that there may be potential implicit bias, um, you know, with respect to women, especially doing trial work. So I think that we can always do better. Um, Yeah, I do see that most trial teams um, in my generation are composed primarily of of men Um, but I do know that some some you know women as we rise up and everything because in the higher ranks there aren't that many many of us Um, and and maybe different reasons like we decide to uh, you know change careers or or do other things um, and stay at home with our with children Um, but I think that Firms these days, and particularly Quinn Emanuel, have have been focused on trying to retain uh, women and making sure that with every uh, team that there there is diversity and there are women on the team. And I think it's so important when I see clients and uh, judges even saying, yes, they want diversity in the trial teams. And it just makes sense because the jurors are diverse and law firms should you know, represent the community that they serve. So um, in terms of you know, whether I've, I've seen any um, bias, I only see it in the sense that many times I'm the only woman <laughs> in a meeting or um, on a trial team.
2: But my guess is it doesn't phase you one bit <laughs> to be the only woman in
4: the room. No, and and that's where I feel like, you know, how I grew up and what my parents went through and the opportunities that are available to me really do help me. And and also my Christian belief where my sense of worth is not from anyone else.
2: Mm. Yeah, that's that's a very big lesson to learn, you know, letting go of that concern um, for the views or opinions or beliefs of people around us. I, I think that people struggle with that.
6: Yeah, and,
4: and, and now having a, a daughter um, who's now 10, you know, I I want to instill that in her You know, that's the one thing that I do struggle with because she does not have the same experience as I did growing up in terms of, you know, um, coming to the United States and starting over and everything. But I want to instill in her confidence and grit. And the one thing that I want to instill in her is also passion for – for what she you know may be interested in I don't want her um, I just had a conversation with her today before she went to school you know about paying attention to what subjects she likes like what makes her happy I don't want her mm-hmm. to be focused on oh is it gonna make me the most money um, because I right. do think that growing up personally I, I Money was something that was always at the forefront of my mind. Is this a job that's going to, you know, give me enough money so that I could support my parents and and help them and and support myself? Um, And luckily, I was able to uh, get a job that gave me money, but also um, that I love, that I truly enjoy.
2: You know, they say, what do they say about, you know, if you love the work you do, you know, you don't work a day in your life or I'm, I'm, mis, <laughs> I'm misquoting that, but I think it's so true about, uh, you know, young people today are focusing on um, how they can make the most money when really if they, if they do what they love, the money will come.
4: Exactly, exactly. And that's what I really want my, for my daughter. I just want her to, to explore and to take risks and fail and maybe she'll find something that she would really enjoy and and have a passion for and you know she won't have to worry about money it'll come right tell me you know just we
2: just have a moment left if you were not doing this work Shu, if you did not become a lawyer what do you think you'd be doing was there a a a second um path you wanted to take
4: I have always thought about medicine. It's always been at the back of my mind. You know, we mentioned before that I was pre-med. What happened yeah. was I, my pre-med study, and I fainted at the sight of blood when I followed a doctor around for the day. It oh. made me question whether I really wanted to go to med school. So I think yeah. when I graduated from uh, college, I think I was the only one who took the MCAT, the GRE, the LSAT. Uh, the GMAT. <laughs> I, I took every single exam just to make sure that I had my bases covered. But in the back oh my of my gosh. mind, I, I truly love medicine. I love science. And uh, I think med- medicine is a great profession. So, you know, if uh, I had to do it over again, I might have chosen medicine. Um, but I would love that with my legal profession, that I could dabble in in you know medical devices or you know other that's right, that's right. health care areas.
2: Well, listen, I I'm so grateful that you came on the show and shared your story, and we'll be following you in your work, and perhaps one day you'll be an in-house attorney at a hospital. <laughs> you never know.
4: You never know. And I so appreciate your time. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you so much. Thank you. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women To Watch. Stay tuned next week for my conversation with Dana Snyder, the founder and CEO of Positive Equation. Have a great week, everyone, and stay well.
6: Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Suraco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Kraus at 267-261-3428.
0: This program is a paid commercial announcement and does not reflect the
1: views of WPHD or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded.